0: So Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. They called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. When something is new or there's this new invention or a new idea, sometimes people are skeptical about these new ideas or new inventions. Sometimes even people who are able to see those inventions or experience them, uh, who have a lot of knowledge of those inventions, sometimes they can be skeptical. For example, in 1876, the president of Western Union said this about the newly invented telephone. This telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. In 1903, the head of the Michigan Savings Bank encouraged someone not to invest in Henry Ford's business because he said, the horse is here to stay, but the automobile is only a novelty, a fad. In 1946, an executive from 20th Century Fox said this about the recently invented television. Television won't be able to hold on to any market it captures after the first six months. People will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. (laughs) And then finally, in 1995, the founder of 3Com predicted this about the Internet. He said, I predict the Internet will soon go spectacularly supernova and in 1996 catastrophically collapse. So there's people who experience new technology, they see new technology, and they're skeptical about it. And then there's other people who are kind of visionaries, and they see what's about to happen, and they understand the movings of technology way before it even happens. Uh, For example, in 1926, uh, Nikola Tesla, who uh, the car company is named after him, he predicted something that sounds eerily similar to the smartphone. He said, we shall be able to communicate with one another instantly, irrespective of distance. Not only this, but through television and telephony, we shall see and hear one another as perfectly as though we were face to face, despite intervening distances of thousands of miles, and the instruments through which we shall be able to do this do this, will be amazingly simple compared with our present telephone. A man will be able to carry one in his vast pocket. 1926. Before computers were widely used, in 1984, about 8% of uh, households had a computer. They were kind of big and clunky. Um, They were mostly used in businesses. Steve Jobs predicted this will change. Computers will be essential in most homes in 1985. As of 2000, uh, the year 2000, there was about 79% of households that had a computer. 300 years before organ transplanting was a reality, Robert Boyle, a physician, predicted that people would be healed by transplants. One futurist who's still alive today named Ray Kurzweil is reported to be 89% correct in the predictions that he's made about technology. There's some people who understand what's coming and they see the future in a way that most of us don't see. Even though they haven't seen it physically or experienced it they know what's coming in the scriptures we encounter many different responses to jesus some people see jesus they experience his miracles and yet they're still skeptical the pharisees the religious leaders are like this they observe jesus miracles but they don't believe they raise many objections which undermine his credibility they say can anything good come out of galilee They ask, by what authority are you doing these things, Jesus? They even suggest that his power might come from the devil. They ask him for a sign. Some of them say, Jesus is deceiving the people. And yet they had seen and experienced Jesus' miracles firsthand. Other people see and experience Jesus' miracles. And though they believe somewhat, they still don't quite get who Jesus is. Like the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, your God is your money. And you need to go and sell all that you have. But he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what Jesus is all about. So he leaves sad. The disciples, they've been following Jesus all this time. They've experienced all these great things from Jesus. But they don't even get it. As we looked last week, James and John come up to Jesus and ask, would you make, me, uh, make us first and second in your kingdom? They don't get what Jesus was about. But then there's a third group of people. People who have maybe not directly experienced Jesus' miracles. Maybe not even seen Him before. But they get it. They believe in Him. People like a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Comes up to Jesus. Believes that even if she would touch the hem of His garment, she would be healed. A Canaanite woman... A pagan, a centurion who says to Jesus, please just say the word. You don't even need to come into my house. I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And then in this passage we're looking at today, we encounter a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. We don't know exactly who he was. We don't know why his name is given as many other miracles don't include a name. But for all we know, he hasn't physically seen Jesus. Maybe he's heard about him, but he hasn't experienced Jesus' miracle, and yet he gets it. He understands what Jesus is about, and he believes in him. And I think that his faith and the way that he responds to Jesus can serve as a model for us in how we should also respond to Jesus. And so there's a couple questions I'd like for us to consider today. And the first is, what does faith look like? And how can Bartimaeus inform our understanding of what it means to respond to Jesus correctly? I think there's three elements of Bartimaeus' faith that were significant. The first is that Bartimaeus recognizes the authority of Jesus. And faith also recognizes the authority of Jesus. Note what Bartimaeus says when he cries out to Jesus. He calls out to him, Son of David. The ancient Jews longed for and awaited the day when a king would come who was from the line of David who would lead them against their enemies. And here in calling Jesus the son of David, he is ascribing to him the fact that he is the Messiah. He is the son of God. And so he gets it who he is. He understands that he is the long-awaited Messiah. And note the initial request that Bartimaeus makes. He says, have mercy on me. He says, have mercy on me. This is something that you might ask of a king. Uh, A mother once approached Napoleon, and she was seeking a pardon for her son. Her her son had done something wrong, broken a law. And she was seeking a pardon, and Napoleon said, well, your son has committed a, a grievous offense. He doesn't deserve mercy. And she says, well, if he deserved mercy, then it wouldn't be mercy. Well, then the emperor said, I will have mercy, and he spared the woman's son. So Bartimaeus, in the similar way, he comes and he requests mercy that Jesus would have uh, pity or compassion upon him. He doesn't come with a sense of entitlement; he comes with a sense of humility. And this might be a little bit speculative, but I don't think it's—I think it's reasonable to think this way. Remember in John chapter nine when Jesus' disciples see a man who was blind. And they asked, so who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents that he was born blind? And ultimately, Jesus says, it's neither one. It was so that works of God might be displayed in them. But there was this idea that was going around that sicknesses and illnesses, even blindness in particular even, that they were caused by someone's sin. And so it's probable that this man, he either did something wrong that caused him to be blind or he thought that he did, even if he didn't. Because that was just kind of the idea that was going around during that time. We don't know if he was born blind. It doesn't say he was born blind. So there was probably a time in his life when he could see. And perhaps he did something or thought that he did something that made him blind. Blind people were ostracized in that community. They weren't allowed to participate in the temple worship. We find him on the side of the road, apart from the other people. The Qumran community, a separatist Jewish community, even suggested that blind people couldn't even partake of the Messianic banquet when the Messiah returned. So people who were blind were kind of on the margins of society. And so Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus with a humble cry. A cry for Jesus to have mercy, to have compassion or pity upon him. And then Jesus asked Bartimaeus the same question that he asked James and John in the passage we looked at last week. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And then Jesus, and then Bartimaeus calls Jesus, it says in the text, rabbi, but the, the Greek word is "rabuni," which is a word that's rarely used. And according to James Edward, this word is usually used in the context of addressing God, not other people. That when this word Rabuni is used, it's addressing God in prayer. And that just shows how highly Bartimaeus thought of Jesus. That he calls him Rabuni, So it so can be translated, my dear master. My dear teacher. Then finally, look at what Bartimaeus requests. He simply wants to recover his sight. He simply wants to see and be a part of the community. He simply wants to be like everybody else. Now contrast that with what James and John asked. Jesus, would you do for me, do for us whatever we ask of you? Would you make us first and second in your kingdom? And I think underlying that, there was perhaps some pride involved. We've been model disciples all this time. We've left everything to follow you. And you know, you see the the other ten here, we've kind of, gotten ahead of them we've been following a little bit more closely we've been more obedient to what you said now can you make us first and second in your kingdom so I think there's a little bit of pride there but with Bartimaeus he just comes with a sense of humility knowing that he needs mercy and so the question we need to ask ourselves is what attitude do we come do we have when we approach God Do we approach God with a sense of pride and entitlement? God, I've been doing these things for you. I've been serving you. I've gone to church. I read my Bible yesterday. I think you owe me a yes to this request. Or do we come to Him with a sense of humility, knowing that we're broken? Knowing that we need His grace. We need His mercy in our lives. Do we come to Him with the attitude of Bartimaeus who says, Son of David, Messiah, The one that we've been waiting for. Rabuni, my dear teacher, have mercy on me. That's the first thing faith recognizes, the authority of Jesus. The second thing, faith remains in the midst of opposition. As Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus, look at what the crowd tries to do. The crowd rebukes him and tells him to stay silent. We don't know the crowd's motivations. Perhaps they were trying to protect Jesus. They thought he didn't have time for someone so lowly. And so they tell him, be quiet, be quiet. Yet the more they rebuke him, the louder he gets. He's a man who's desperate for Jesus. And he'll do anything to get to Jesus. And the reality is, there's, there are two things that opposition or persecution or suffering can do. Number one, persecution or opposition can silence our faith. If we go through a difficult time and it seems like we kind of just lose our faith and kind of walk away from God, it kind of shows the world that our faith isn't genuine. And so any faith that we've professed, it is silenced. However, suffering can also amplify our faith. It can raise the volume of our faith. Just like Bartimaeus spoke louder and louder as they were rebuking him. As we suffer for the cause of Christ. As we experience difficult times. When we stay faithful to God in the midst of those difficulties. It can amplify our faith. It can demonstrate to the world how strong our faith really is. And, but most importantly it can amplify and show to the world how great Jesus is. That he is so great and so marvelous. That He's worth any amount of hardship or suffering. 2 Corinthians 4, 8-11, Paul says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Per- per- perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who, are, who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. We Endure suffering. Christ is demonstrated through us. The people can see Christ's life in us. They can see our faith and how much we love him and how valuable he truly is. There's a man named Martin Niemöller who was a World War II hero. And he was in Germany. And he was imprisoned by Hitler for eight years. And he was in a number of prisons and uh, concentration camps. Even uh, the famous uh, Daku concentration camp. One day, Hitler realized that if he could persuade Niemöller to come to his side, then a lot of the other opposition would cease. And so what he did was he found one of Niemöller's old friends who had become a Nazi. And so he told his friend, he said, Can you go to Niemöller in prison and try to convince him to come to our side? And so Niemöller's friend goes to his cell. And he says... Martin, Martin, why are you here? And Nehemiah replied, My friend, why are you not here? Hitler was trying to silence his opposition, to silence this man's faith. But his faith spoke louder than his suffering. Some suffering simply amplifies the faith of those who trust in Jesus. When we persevere in the midst of difficulty in the midst of trial just like bartimaeus lifted his voice our faith is lifted over the voice of the opposition and people see how great our god is faith recognizes the authority of jesus faith remains in the midst of opposition and finally faith leads to a changed life bartimaeus cries out persistently to jesus jesus hears him tells the crowd to call the man over and when Bartimaeus hears the call of Jesus, the text indicates that he threw off his cloak and ran to Jesus. Now, oftentimes in that day, what beggars would do, would they would take their cloak, which may have been their only earthly possession, and they would either put it on their lap or put it before them, and people would throw change or alms to them on that cloak. But when he hears the voice of Jesus, he takes a cloak and he throws it and he runs towards Jesus. He doesn't care about it anymore. He doesn't care about all the things that he's been begging for. He just wants to get to Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you healed. Made you well. This word for made you well is the Greek word sozo, which can be translated as heal, but it also can be translated as to save. And for this man, I think both were true. He was healed, but he was also saved by his faith. And Jesus completely transforms Bartimaeus and transforms his identity. No longer is he going to be a beggar on the side of the road. No longer is he going to be on the margins of society. Now he's going to leave his way and he's going to follow after Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, it changes us. It transforms us. We're no longer the people that we used to be. 2 Corinthians five fourteen 14-17 says this, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And as new creations, we need to make sure that we don't run back to our old way of life. To run back to our old patterns. I mean, imagine if Bartimaeus would have done that. Imagine if he comes to Jesus and Jesus heals him. And then he goes back to the side of the road, begging as a blind man. Christ calls us to a new way of life. He transforms us from the inside out. In a book titled The Anthropologist on Mars, neurologist Oliver Sacks tells about a man named Virgil. And Virgil was blind since birth. But when he was 50 years old, he was able to undergo a surgery so that he was able to see. Never seen before in his life. But what... This researcher, this doctor found was that having the ability to see was not the same as actually seeing. See, after his surgery, he went and he was looking at things for the first time and everything just kind of blended together. He saw shapes and colors and he didn't know how to differentiate what was what. And as he was living his life, he was still living his life as a blind man rather than as one who could see. What Dr. Sachs wrote was he said, one must die as a blind person to be born again as a seeing person. One must die as a blind person to be born again as a seeing person. The way the Scriptures put it is that we need to put sin to death. Put to death the old man. We are not who we once were. We've been made new and we need to live like people who have been made new. Not live like blind men and women. Live like people who can see. Faith recognizes the authority of Jesus. It recognizes how great He is, and it comes to Him with an attitude of humility. Faith remains in the midst of opposition. When opposition comes against us, faith speaks louder than our opposition. And finally, faith leads to a changed life. It leads us from a life of blindness to a life of seeing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You for ministering to all of us. To the lowly, to the broken. To sinners like us. Lord, we thank You that You, as You met Barnabas, You were on the road to Jerusalem. On the road to die for all of our sins. So that we might have life, So that we might be made new in You. Lord, we thank you for the example of Bartimaeus that we see in Scripture. Lord, I pray that our faith would be as strong as his was. That even though we don't see you here, even though we weren't walking with you thousands of years ago, that we might have the faith like Bartimaeus did, knowing the authority that you have, knowing the love that you have for us, and that we might hold on to that in the midst of opposition, in the midst of hardship. That our faith and love for you would speak louder than anything we might face. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for all you're doing. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.